morning. Welcome, South Park Church. It's so good to, to have each of you here um, in the theater. Other people may be listening online uh, at a later point in time or listening to a podcast, and we welcome each and every one of you here. We are in a sermon series, as Kiana shared with you, that's based on the story. We're in a sub-series of that that's called Soundtrack. Um, and I want you to think about if, you're, if you, the story of your life was put to music, what would the soundtrack sound like? Would it be easy listening? Would it be classical, maybe hard rock or bluegrass? I think I might call on Bruce Springsteen to write a little bit of the soundtrack of, of my life. Uh, but we're exploring the, the stories of the Bible. You know, God has an upper story. We have the lower story. They kind of weave together. We're looking at how that happens in the Bible, and then we're also thinking about how our story is interwoven with God's story. But we're also doing that um, kind of thinking in terms of the soundtrack of the stories in the Bible and also the soundtrack of our own, of our own lives. Um, next week is Easter Sunday. It is the biggest Sunday in the life of, of us as Christians and in the life of the church. And I wonder, um, have you been thinking about who you might invite to come and join with you on Easter Sunday? It's a great Sunday to invite someone to come and, and participate. And as Kiana mentioned, we will have worship at 9 a.m. traditional, and this service will be at 11 a.m. Please be sure to, to make sure you get that in your reminder phone or whatever, however it is you remember about the time. But at least you'll be early, not late, if you show up at 10.30. Um, will you join me for a word of prayer? Let's pray. Gracious God, I pray that you will speak to me, through me, if necessary, in spite of me, but always, always beyond me, so that the truth of your word might not be hidden. Amen. So last week, we learned the story of the people of God wanting to be like the people that were in the countries around them, and they wanted a king because the other countries had a king. And so God spoke to the prophet Samuel, and he went out to anoint a man named Saul to become the king. And Saul had all the makings of a king. He looked like a king. He was tall. He was handsome. He had been a military leader. Um, but we learned at the end of last week and at the beginning of this week that Saul kind of gets off track. He stops keeping his focus on God, and he begins to do some things his way, and he drifts away from God, and, and the Israelites were beginning to drift away from God as well. And this week, we learned about God deciding it's time to anoint a new king, and so he sends the prophet Samuel out to find a new king and to anoint him. Let's take a look at the recap of the story. So I want to tell you the story of a young man whose name is Tyrone. He grew up in the city of Baltimore, Maryland. He grew up in the housing projects there. He was reared by his mother because his father was in jail. And this young man loved playing basketball. He uh, played on his high school team who went undefeated both his junior and his senior year. Junior year was, I think, 29-0, and zero, and uh, senior year, I think they won 31 games that year. Tyrone was a wonderful point guard, but there was only one problem. He was five foot three inches tall, and he had this dream of playing in college, and you would think that might be a little bit of a stretch for him, a little bit of a cha challenge for him, but he ended up getting a scholarship to play basketball. Uh, in college at uh, an Atlantic Coast Conference school, an ACC school. He played at Wake Forest University, and by now you've probably figured out that it's Muggsy Bogues, who I'm talking about. 
His nickname was Muggsy. And they had a gr great season with him. He was a wonderful basketball player. And after college, he had another dream. He had a dream of playing in the NBA, the pro uh, basketball league. And again, five foot three, that's a bit of a stretch to think somebody would be able to do that. But he actually ended up being drafted number 12 in the same draft that took people like um, David Robinson, like Scottie Pippen, Reggie Miller. Those are all Hall of Fame players at this point in time. So he was number 12 pick in that draft. He started his career with the Washington Bullets, but was drafted by our own Charlotte Hornets in their expansion draft in 1988. He played for the Hornets for 10 years. He's probably one of the best known and one of the best loved players that's ever been on our team. And I think one of my favorite statistics from Muggsy from his professional career was that he recorded 39 blocked shots. Five foot three, five foot three. My favorite story that I read about him online was that he actually blocked Patrick Ewing one, one time. Patrick Ewing took the ball back and Muggsy blocked him from behind. So even though he was only five foot three tall, five foot three inches tall, um, he did not let them, let that keep him from dreaming and pursuing his dreams, believing in himself. He didn't let what other people expected of him or saw in him keep him from living the life that he wanted to live and, and, and pursuing that career that he wanted to pursue. The name of his autobiography, by the way, is In the Land of Giants. So this week in the story, we're reminded that Saul has drifted away from God. He stopped listening to God. He stopped honoring God. He has stopped um, just doing what God wants to do, and he's begun to do it his way. He's just kind of taken things in his own hands. So God decides it's time for a new king, and he sends Samuel, the prophet Samuel, out to Bethlehem to the home of Jesse. And so Samuel asks Jesse to bring out his sons, and Jesse lines them up like you saw in the video, oldest to youngest. And Samuel takes a look at the oldest, Eliab, and to, to, he takes one look at him and he thinks, man, this has got to be the guy that God means for me to anoint. You know, he's got the looks of a king. I think he'll make a great king. God says no. He goes to the second one. God says no. Goes to the third one, fourth one, fifth one. All of them, God's shaking his head saying, no, not the one, not the one. And Samuel is just like, I, you know, I have no idea what you're looking for. So he says to Jesse, by chance, is this all your sons? Do you have another one? And Jesse says, yes, I, I actually do. I have the youngest son, David, is out tending the sheep. And the word that Jesse uses to describe David is a word in Hebrew that means runt, like runt of the litter, the smallest, the least, the least likely, kind of like Muggsy Bogues, the least likely to do what you think they're going to do. And so if, you'll, if you have your iPhones or your smartphones or your tablets with me and you'd like to turn to Scripture, we're going to be looking in the first book of Samuel. It's in the Old Testament toward the beginning, uh, chapter 16, verses 12 through 13. If you have your Bible, you can find it. It will be on the screen if you want to read it there. And the Scripture says, So he, Jesse, sent and had him, David, brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. So he's not a tall, strapping guy, but he's a nice-looking guy. And then the Lord said to Samuel, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David 
in power. David was certainly not what Samuel expected. Now, I imagine if we had been there that day, he was probably not what we would have expected either because, you see, we're influenced by our eyes. We're influenced by what we see. We're influenced by physical beauty or, or handsomeness or, or strength or other characteristics and, and visual, visible evidences of a person that, that we make judgments about and say, oh, yeah, they can do that. Oh, yeah, they're able to do that. God sees possibilities even when we don't. What is it that God sees in David? And God sees possibilities in the least and the least likely. God uses unexpected people to do God's work. So what is it that God sees in this runt David, this, this young man, the youngest of the sons of Jesse? God sees a man who is a man after God's own heart. God sees someone who is willing to do what God desires him to do. And he knows that God is that, that, that David is all in, that David is going to follow God and honor God and do the things that Saul has drifted away from. That's what God sees. God sees on the heart. We look at people from the exterior. And how many times do we look past someone because they're not what we expect them to be? They don't quite fit in with what we're looking for. They're maybe not cool enough looking or maybe they're not they're too different from us. When we, when we just look at them and we don't really know them. The new neighbor, the kid at school, the employee where we work. I think we can be thankful today, grateful today, that God doesn't just judge us by our outward appearances, but looks at us and, and looks at our hearts. So David's anointed by Samuel. His father and his brothers witness this, and, and he's filled with God's spirit. I want you to hang on to that because we hear that repeatedly in the story of David's life, that he is filled with God's spirit. God is guiding him and directing him because he's let himself tap into that. He's open to God's will for his life. Um, and the other piece I want you to hear is he was anointed, but he's not crowned yet. It's going to take a while before he gets to actually be king, and David is going to have to be patient, a characteristic that we could also learn from. So as we continue in the story, we get to see a little snippet of, of David's heart. So he's sent by his father. Jesse sends him to where the, the um, Israeli, Israelite army has gathered because he's sending home-cooked food to three of the brothers who are actually in the army at that point in the time. And they're at war with these people called Philistines. And the Philistines were just a thorn in the flesh, a pain in the rear end of the, of the Hebrew people. They lived near them, and there were just constant skirmishes and battles. And they're, they're basically heathens. They, they don't worship the God that the Hebrews worship. It's just, it's just um, there's difficulties between them. So as they showed you in the video, there's basically they're camped up on two hills. The, the Philistines are on one side. The Israel army is on the other side. It's down in the valley where the battle will occur. And each day, the Philistines send out this guy named Goliath. And he's huge. He's big. And he taunts the Israelites. And he challenges them to fight, except this isn't going to be one of those battles where everybody and both armies come down and they all fight each other. Goliath is basically saying, send me your best warrior. Send him here and we'll battle to the death. And if he dies, all the people in your army, all the people in your country will be our servant. And if I get killed, yeah, right, he's thinking, then we'll do the same. We will be your slaves. So this taunting is going on and 40 days he's been doing that, coming out and taunting and making fun of God. 
And there have been no takers. Nobody has said, imagine that. Nobody has said, oh, I'll go. I'll fight this big guy. So Saul and his people are basically dis dismayed and terrified because of his size. And I think you understand that he, in some translations, it says he's like six foot nine inches tall, which is still pretty tall. And the people in those days were not as tall as we have come to be. And some translations, some ways that it's translated, he's nine foot nine inches tall. That is huge. That is massive. Who would, who would do that? He's very imposing. So David happens to be coming to deliver these home goods to his, his brothers and, and sees Goliath taunting the Israelites and, and making fun of this God that David adores and worships. And David is so offended, so offended. We're going to take a look at the 17th chapter in Samuel, 1 Samuel, the 26th verse. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine and that he should defy the army of the living God? Who is this guy and why are we letting him get away with this? It's basically what David's asking. He's just incensed that this heathen, this um, foreigner is making light of this God that is so important to him. And so David, little David, the runt, the small one, offers to fight Goliath. The word goes to King Saul that someone has stepped up and is willing to fight Goliath, and so he calls for David. So we're back in the 17th chapter of that first, first book of Samuel. The 32nd verse says, David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. I'm standing up. I'm standing up against him. I will fight him. So Saul takes a look at David and says, seriously? Seriously, you're going to go fight this big guy? Are you, are you sure? You're just a boy. Goliath has spent his whole life uh, preparing to fight. That's all he's focused on. That's all he's done. And, and, you know, I can't let you do that. I can't let you do that and hurt yourself. Saul's basically looking at him, looking at his thighs, and deciding, no, 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 I can't do that. He's not looking at David's heart and his passion, and he doesn't realize that God's spirit is with David. So David tells him the story of being the shepherd and reassures him that he has, he has killed a lion and he has killed a bear on his own, on his own. And he, then he says, God will protect me. God protected me then, and God will protect me now. Can you imagine that kind of faith, that kind of trust in God? to guide your life, to take that kind of a risk. So David, um, Saul decides, well, if you're going to go, at least wear my armor, at least put something on to protect you. And David tries it on, and it is just way too big. He realizes it's going to hurt him more than it's going to help him. So he decides he's going to go and face Goliath with just his sling and the five stones that he has, has picked up from the stream. Now, you can imagine Goliath's face when this young kid shows up, no armor, no nothing, and he's carrying a slingshot and some, and some stones. He taunts, he trash talks, he makes fun of him. And David basically says, you know, you can say all you want to say, but I come in the name of the living God. And he will be with me and he will help me in this battle. And that's exactly what happens. David slings that one stone, hits Goliath and, and kills him. And kills him. Now, if you've read the story, if you've read this in, in scripture, you know that it, it gets pretty gory here. There's a lot of 
uh, a lot of things that you go, did they have to do that? Did they really have to do that? And you need to know that it's, it's just culture. That's part of the culture of that time. It's not an important part of the story for us. What we want to focus on is, is David and his great belief in God and his willing to take risks for God. It's going to turn out that Goliath isn't the only giant that David had to deal with. Uh, because of his success in, in taking Goliath out, Saul decided to send him out on some other missions because he saw in him um, this, this passion and this, this willingness to take those risks. And David succeeds at those. And then Saul eventually makes him commander of the army. And David continued to excel at everything that he did. Because remember, the spirit of the Lord was with him. And he comes back from, from a, a, one of these wonderful battles that he's won, and, and the people are singing. They're singing praises, and they say, Saul has killed his thousands. And Saul's puffed all up, you know, oh, good. They're, they're liking me. They're praising me because Saul liked that kind of stuff. And then they say, and David killed his tens of thousands. And Saul doesn't like hearing that. He, he's, he's very jealous, and he realizes that, that people like David that, that he's more popular than Saul is. And so it, it just, Saul's not a mentally healthy person, and it just fuels his jealousy, and he um, begins to threaten David. Uh, and, and it probably doesn't help, I'll tell you, that David is married to Saul's daughter, Michael, and that's what Saul wanted to happen. But he's married to, to, to uh, Saul's daughter, and then his best friend is a man named Jonathan, who is the king's son. When David and Jonathan met, there was just this instant connection between them. There was just this bond. They, they knew that they were going to be blood brothers. They knew that they were going to care for each other and look out for each other and take care of each other. We're going to go back into Scripture and look at 1 Samuel chapter 20. want to look at verse 4 and verse 16. Because Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. And then he says, uh, Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. Do you hear what Jonathan just said there? Who is, who is David's enemy? It's his own father, Saul. And Jonathan is saying, I see in you, David, the gifts to be a king. I see in you um, what I don't see in my father. And so I'm siding with you. I will protect you. I will make a covenant with you. I'm choosing you over my father. And, and Saul was grooming Jonathan to become the king. And Jonathan realizes that God intends for David to be the king, not for Jonathan to be the next king. So whenever Jonathan knows that his father is going out to, to search for David and try to kill him, try to, to end his life, he warns David and even Michael, David's wife, Saul's daughter, uh, helps him escape when Saul is attacking him in the palace. And then you saw the story uh, in the little video of, of David and a small group of his men that he's with. They're hiding out in a cave, and, and Saul is looking for him, and Saul actually comes into the cave. And David sneaks up close enough that he could have killed Saul if he wanted to, but his conscience wouldn't let him do it. What he does is he snips a little piece of cloth off of Saul's robe. And when Saul leaves, then David comes out and calls to him and tries to reassure him and say, look, I could have killed you if I wanted to, but I didn't. That's not, that's not my heart. That's not what I want to do. 
You know, and there's a period of time where Saul backs off, but then he gets jealous again and, and comes after, after David. Um, Saul just felt like everyone, his family, his, his country, they all had turned against him and turned toward David. And he makes life very, very difficult for David. David is on the run. He's, he's just on the run. If you're like me, there may be days when you feel like everyone and everything seems to be against you. It seems to be making life difficult for you. Um, you can call that facing giants if you want to, facing difficulties, facing challenges. So what can we learn from David, the shepherd who became a king, this young man who was willing to take on Goliath? What made it possible for David to survive the giants that were in his life? Well, I think first and most importantly, God was on his side. David listened to God. He trusted God, and he lived the way that God required of him. He was all in for God. And so I would tell you, one of the ways that you face your giants is by listening to God, trusting God, and being all in for God. David lived his life in accordance to God's will for him. And I'll give you a spoiler alert because in two Sundays when we pick back up with the story, we'll see the second half of David's life. And it's worth coming for because we see that David's very human. And we learn a lot from how he handles the mistakes that he makes. And so I encourage you to come back then. Um, but, but because of how we see David and the way that he lives his life in this first half of his life, we, need to, we know that we need to listen to God. We need to read the Bible. That's how we hear God speak to us. That book is a living word, and God can still speak to us through it. And we need to spend time praying, not just us talking to God, uh, although that's wonderful. Lift up your concerns. Lay your worries there. Um, offer your praises there, but also some time to just sit and listen and be quiet and hear what God might say to you. And I can't say that God's going to, talk audibly to you, but I, I believe you will get nudges. I, will believe, I believe you'll get images or ideas of direction um, or answers to some of the questions that you have. Um, but you really need, and then you need to be willing to take risks, risk for God, that honor God and that, that further the kingdom. Now, I will say to you, this does not guarantee that your life will be trouble-free doesn't guarantee there's not going to be bumps in the road or difficulties that you continue to face. All it guarantees is that you will have that peace and that assurance of God's presence with you no matter what happens to you. That, that sense that I'm not alone in what I'm facing. God is on my side. And then secondly, I think David had his best friend Jonathan with him. Jonathan was Saul's son, but when he and David met, there was just, like I said, this incredible bond, this connection. It's like they just knew. They knew. The deep friendship. And Jonathan looked out for David and helped protect him and, and kept him safe. Jonathan believed in David so much that he was willing to defy his father to keep David safe. And so surround yourself with people of faith who have your back. Surround yourself with people of faith who have your back. We all need people like Jonathan in our lives. When we need someone who's got our back and is willing to be there for us, who's willing to support us, who's willing to hold us accountable and speak truth to us, the hard truths to us when we need to hear that. We need that kind of person with us when we feel like the world is full of people.
people like King Saul or like Goliath. We feel like there's no safe place to be. It's nice to have that friend who's there with you. And, and as I've described that, have you thought of who that might be in your life? It might be your spouse. It might be a good Christian friend. It might be someone in your small group. Can you think of who that is in your life? And if you can think of who that is, I hope that you will take time to say thank you to them for being there for you, for being there for you. And if you don't have that person, I, can t I would just hope that you would pray for someone to be in your life and to, to maybe foster some friendships that would help you have that kind of person in your life. Surround yourself with people of faith who have your back. When you're fighting your own giants and you're dealing with your own struggles, you need to remember that you can handle anything when you have God on your side and you have a Christian friend who has your back. This, this today is Palm Sunday. Um, this week we're going to take a break from reading the story, and I would encourage you to read the events that happened during this week in Jesus' life. We call it Holy Week. Um, and I would suggest Luke's gospel. You can pick whichever gospel you would like. You can read all four of them. A gospel is the good news. It's one of the first four. They're all, there are four of them. They're at the beginning of the New Testament. Luke's is the third one. And I would suggest that you read Luke uh, chapters 22 through 24. It'll take you through Palm Sunday and all the way through Easter. I also invite you to join us um, at a service on Thursday night, a Holy Thursday service at Wesley United Methodist Church and the Tenebrae service that Kiana mentioned earlier, earlier today in the service. I would invite you to join us for that. Um, good Friday. Certainly good for us, but it wasn't so good for Jesus. So I hope you will... Um, let yourself experience some of those powerful services during the, during the Holy Week. Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter. Today is the day when we remember Jesus coming into Jerusalem and the people welcoming him. What does David moving from shepherd to king have to do with Palm Sunday? We see David points us to Jesus in a lot of different ways. The earthly father of Jesus is a man named Joseph, who was a direct descendant of David. Do you remember where God sent Samuel to find the house of Jesse to anoint the next king? It was in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the place where Joseph and Mary went when Mary was great with child because they had to go because the census was being taken and Joseph needed to, to sign in. And he was in the direct line of David's people. Samuel is directed by God to anoint David, and he becomes king of Israel. Saul dies in battle. He kills himself. Um, he dies by his own hand because he is so distraught that his three sons have also been killed in battle. And David is finally made the king. Sixteen years after he was anointed by Samuel, he waited 16 years to become king. And on Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, and the people were so excited. They hailed him. They welcomed him. Because, you see, they believed he was going to be a king like King David, a military leader, a warrior who would help them fight the Romans who were oppressing them. So they cheered, and they waved their palm branches in the air, and they, they just were so excited that he was going to be, in, be there. They wanted a warrior king, a military leader, but Jesus came for a different kind of kingdom. As the week progressed, the tune of their cheers changed 
from those hallelujahs and we're so glad you're here. And by the end of the week, they were shouting, crucify him. We don't want him. Crucify him. This would be the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. And he taught in the temple. He spent time with his followers. They celebrated the Passover meal together. And at that meal, he began what we know as Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper. Sharing with them the bread and the cup and telling them to continue to do that in order to remember him. After the meal, he was betrayed by one of his own. Someone in his own inner circle betrayed him. He was arrested, and there was this sham of a trial, and on Friday he died a painful, horrible death on the cross, and his body was placed in a borrowed tomb. During Holy Week, we move from the high of Palm Sunday, that wonderful celebration, to the low of that horrible death that Jesus experienced on the cross. What I don't want you to do is to simply go from the high of Palm Sunday to the high of Easter Sunday without taking time to stop at the cross and experience the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. God loved us so much, so much, that he was willing to send his son into the world for us. And Jesus loves us so much that he was willing to give his own life that we might have life forever. And so I pray that this week, as we move through Holy Week, that you'll spend some time prayerfully pondering and thinking about and praying about what God has done for us. David points us to Jesus, and Jesus points us to God, and we give thanks to God for that. Let us pray. Gracious and merciful God, we, we give you thanks for the many people that you have um, worked through down through the years, for people that are unexpected heroes, unexpected leaders. We thank you for that. Um, we open ourselves to you that we might also be used by you to serve in your kingdom. Be with us as we move through this week that we call holy. Help us to prepare ourselves that we might truly be ready to celebrate Easter next Sunday. All this we pray in the holy and precious name of your son, Jesus the Christ. Amen.